All right. You guys remember that story in the Bible where the disciples were just in a room and all of a sudden Jesus appeared? Didn't it feel that way a little bit with Phil today? Like, I mean, I'm not saying he's Jesus, obviously, but he just like appeared up there. So now, so we're glad that he's been able to start his sabbatical and uh, glad that he could be with us here just for today uh, to be part of that. Uh, we're in a series that we just started a couple weeks ago, uh, part three of a series called Anatomy of Wisdom, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Living. And today we're going to talk about the head. Um, how many of you guys are married here in the room? Raise your hand. All right. It's guys, especially. You guys remember what you had to go through to get to that proposal? Maybe for some of you it's pretty easy. Some of us had to talk to dads and we had to do some planning. We had to do some saving. We had to go through a lot to get to that proposal. And, uh, in fact, I heard of uh, someone who got engaged uh, just this past week. I won't mention any names, but maybe Kyle and Lydia. So <laughs> I'm sorry, Kyle. I didn't mean to mention that loud. Um, Kyle went through some planning, right? Had to go through, uh, how am I going to get to this proposal? Well, uh, there's a funny story about a billionaire tycoon from uh, Texas. He decided he wanted to find a husband for his only daughter, a rather uh, only 18-year-old is how he described her. Uh, he initiated a search by inviting local bachelors to a party in his backyard. A large, elegantly designed swimming pool dominated the yard. And as the men edged by, by it to get to their refreshments, they saw it was filled with man-eating sharks piranhas, alligators, and other animals that wouldn't think twice about eating you alive. And clustering beside the pool, the bachelors were puzzled over why these things were in the pool. Just then, the tycoon appeared on the patio. He gave an emotional speech telling how much he loved his daughter and expressing how much he wanted her to marry someone deserving of her. He then laid out the deal. Anyone who will jump in the swimming pool and swim to the other side will have their choice of a check of $1 million, no questions asked, or the title deed to my my most profitable oil field, or the hand of my daughter in marriage, and your place in my will, which will result in you inheriting my entire fortune. The bachelors were speechless. Their questioning look seemed to say that none of them would be crazy enough to risk their life, even for all that money. The long silence was finally broken by splash. Everyone turned to see one of the men swimming to the far side of the pool as fast as as an Olympic swimmer. Leaping out of the water, he shook himself and stalked back to the tycoon. With a hug and a handshake, the tycoon congratulated the young man on his fine swim. And he said, son, would you like a million-dollar check, he asked. He said, no, sir, I wouldn't, responded the young man politely, slightly out of breath. Fine, said the tycoon. Then would you like my most profitable oil field? No, sir, he said. With a tear in his eye, the tycoon asked, my boy, would you like my only daughter's hand in marriage? And to the surprise of the tycoon, the young man replied, no, sir. And puzzled and with a hurt look, he said, well, then, son, what, what do you want? He said, I want only one thing. I want to know the name of the guy who pushed me in the pool. <laughs> Uh, a couple weeks ago, I shared with you this verse from Proverbs 18:22. Even as I shared a little bit about my own recent engagement, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and he receives favor from the Lord. As we look at these verses in Proverbs this morning, we're going to need to understand the perspective that to find a wife is a good thing. As we look at this aspect of wisdom, Solomon is going to compare wisdom. As he personifies wisdom as a wife, he's going to compare it to a good wife. Now, working with uh, teenagers for years, 
we would talk about relationship circles. All of us have an outer circle of people that we want to try to influence. We want to help them become better people. We want to share the gospel with them. There's a group of people that we want to influence. And then we have a smaller group of people that we want to influence us. These are the people as Christians that are of like faith. These are people who encourage us. It could be mentors or friends. So we have one group of people we're trying to influence. We have another group of people we want to influence us. But in the center, in the way that God has designed things, is the most intimate and life-shaping relationship that you can experience. And that is a spouse, to have a wife or a husband. So it doesn't mean that you can't be all that God wants you to be or be happy without that. But if you do have a spouse, that relationship will be the most intimate and the most life-shaping. And I think that's part of what is meant by to find a wife is a good thing. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. We see God's original design for marriage. As Adam is first created and then he is lacking something, someone, and God creates Eve, and he puts them together. Uh, Family Life Ministry has a lot of good resources, and some of you have been to their conferences, read their books. The book that I use for premarital counseling summarizes the purpose of marriage this way. Uh, first of all, it's to mutually complete one another. It's interesting in the garden there, Adam doesn't realize that he's without until God helps him see that. He gives him a task to name the animals, and Adam is watching these animals come by, and they all have a a mate there's someone like them and adam begins to realize that he doesn't have that and god says it's not good that you're alone and so he supplies perfect provision for him in creating eve and he puts them together and they mutually complete one another not only in their uh, being male and female but in all that they are with strengths and weaknesses and the the way that they're made it's also to multiply a godly legacy They're told to multiply. Part of marriage normally is to have children, to help provide a legacy. And there's good reasons that that doesn't happen or that not everybody has children. But in general, part of being married is to have children so that there's a legacy that's passed on. And then there's to mirror God's image. There's a unique way that two becoming one images even the three God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are one. So again, we can mirror God's image as single people. Jesus was single. But there's a unique way that when God puts a man and a woman together, that they become a uh, a couple of marriage takes place. There's a unique way that they can mirror God's image in the way they interact and in the way that they are two who are one. And so God there in Genesis says there's a commitment that's necessary to have this kind of marriage. You're to receive your mate, your spouse, as God's perfect provision for you, to be that mutually completing person. You're to leave your parents in that you form an independent family unit now. And then in that relationship, you cleave to one another, that this is the priority for you. This relationship now is above all other relationships. And then we'll just use the word weave to just illustrate that coming together, that two become one. And there's an intimacy and a oneness that is designed to be experienced in a marriage relationship that is different than any other relationship. And so today, when we come to Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon is saying, think about that picture that God has designed. We live in a world where we don't always experience that kind of happiness or unity, but that's the design, and oftentimes we do get to experience that. But to find a wife is a good thing, 
And that marriage relationship is to be one that helps to shape you as a person. So think about a wife who is all that God designed her to be and a husband who is the benefit of that kind of woman in his life. And think about wisdom that way. And then go get her. Go find that kind of wife. That's what wisdom is. And so it'll be helpful for us to understand that. All right, so if you want to turn in your Bible or on your device to Proverbs chapter 4, give you a table of contents again. You can find that book of Proverbs right in the wisdom literature. Proverbs chapter 4, and again, we're using the terms of the anatomy, so we're focusing on the head. But let's read in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. For I am giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instructions. For I, too, was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the book of Proverbs and that one of the literary devices is it's given as a father talking to his son. But also, we talked that Solomon is the author here. And it may be that Solomon is literally talking uh, to his son. And he wants to give him some instruction. All right? Next one says, my father taught me. So this is dad talking to his son, and he's talking about granddad. So if this is indeed Solomon, he's talking about his dad, David. And now he's talking to his son. And he says, hey, listen, this is what I benefited from. This is the wisdom that my dad gave me. And that's just a reminder to parents and even adults talking to kids. We don't always have to talk to them directly. What's one of the things you hear all the time? Oh, you're going to lecture me. You're going to preach to me again, right? And sometimes they need that. But we can also talk about how we've benefited from something. And here he's saying, listen, this is what my dad did for me. Let me just share that with you. My father taught me, so take my words to heart, follow my commands, and you will live. All right, next verse. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Acquire it. Develop good judgment or insight or understanding, some of your translations will say. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. So what he's saying here is, hey, look, this is what I got from my dad. And I want to encourage you, this thing, wisdom, you need to go get that. It's the wisest thing you could do. And whatever else you do, do this. It's really like he's saying, whatever the cost, whatever you have to do, you need to go get this wisdom that I'm talking about, this wisdom that my dad passed on to me. In uh, 23.23 of Proverbs, it says this, Get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. Now, in uh, Bible times, or in these times here from the book of Proverbs, one difference in getting engaged was, and in that preparation for proposal, is you had to figure out a dowry. I don't know how things got so mixed up. So I have three daughters, and all three of them are married, and I paid for it. It used to be that when a guy wanted your daughter's hand in marriage, he paid you. So things are really messed up. But that was called a dowry. And so you would put together or come to some agreement about what kind of cattle or wealth or crops or whatever the payment was going to be in order to secure this woman's hand in marriage that you wanted to marry. I think what is in the background here is wisdom is going to be personified as a good wife, a good woman. And what Solomon is saying is, hey, pay the dowry. In other words, jump in the pool. (laughs) Go get it. Whatever it's going to cost 
You need to go get wisdom. And we're going to look at why that would be so. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Search for them, wisdom, and this insight, as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. All right. We skipped over verse 6. Let's go back to that one. Don't turn your back on wisdom for she. So here we're going to start to see he personifies wisdom as a lady. For she will protect you. Love her. And she will guard you. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head. And she will present you with a beautiful crown. And so wisdom here is personified as a woman. And we're given some instruction about how we should pursue wisdom and the benefit that that will be. So when we introduced the series a couple weeks ago, we talked about that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And wisdom is an action. It's a skill to be developed. It's not just knowledge. So we need to develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And Proverbs is a helpful book for that. A proverb is just a short, easy-to-memorize saying that offers wisdom. It's kind of like wisdom condensed down to a very short, easy-to-memorize saying so that we can get hold of it. And the book of Proverbs is designed to help us do that. And I reminded you we're used to those short sayings, but there actually is a structure to the book in that chapters 1 through 9 are an introduction. And we're in chapter 4, which is this dad giving instruction or it's wisdom personified. It's kind of giving us a, a broader picture before it gets into those collection of sayings that are the short uh, sayings. And then it ends with two people who were models of wisdom. So I asked you that... or invited you, I guess I could say, to maybe read a Proverbs a day and whatever date it was to read a chapter. So today is the 28th. So today you would read from Proverbs chapter 28. So I hope that you've been attempting that. Remember, I encourage you to read a chapter and then try to focus on one verse or one saying so that we can get hold of this. But it'd be helpful to understand that structure as we go through it. So just two questions this morning. Why? Solomon says, wisdom is something you should give up everything you have to go get it. Which makes me ask the question, why? Why would I do that? Why would I pursue wisdom like that? And then secondly, if it really is worth that, then how would I do that? All right, so we're going to look at those two questions. First, let's look at why. Why? And we're going to go back through some of the same verses and see different things in them. So back to verse 4, he says, my father taught me. Take my words to heart, follow my commands, and you will what? Live. Who doesn't want to live? Who doesn't want to live the good life? I think this is Proverbs' version of what Jesus said, that it's the devil who comes to kill, kill and steal and destroy but, I, destroy, but I've come so that you might have life. And what kind of life? Abundant life. A couple other verses in Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 13, says, Joyful is the person who finds wisdom. The one who gains understanding. In chapter 24, it says, My child, eat honey for it's good. And the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. We would substitute and say, eat chocolate or some other candy. In the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, you'll have a bright future and your hopes will not be cut short. Wisdom brings life. You have a future. You have hope. One last one in chapter 8 says, Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at the gates, waiting for me outside my home. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. 
So why? Why would we pursue wisdom like this? Because wisdom promises to give us life. And so he says, verse uh, 6 then, don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you and she'll make you great. You want to be protected? You want to be guarded in life? Do you want to really be great? Not great by the world's eyes, but great in God's eyes. Then pursue wisdom. Embrace her and she will honor you. There's a way in which wisdom will honor us in our life. And we're going to talk about that here just a little bit more. But I want you to see the illustration of how we're honored is she will place a lovely wreath on your head. Probably some reference to a marriage ceremony. And in that ceremony, the bride would take a wreath and place it on the husband's husband-to-be's head as a way to honor him. Now, how would wisdom honor us? Well, it's a public thing, right? Pastor Phil was just talking about how baptism is a public statement and similar to a wedding ring. When you think about wedding rings, there's a part in the ceremony where we ask the question, the vows have been made, and we say, are there symbols that would represent these vows that have been made? And then there's an exchange of rings. So now when you see somebody out and you see that there's a wedding ring on their hand, you know, oh, they're married. And they want everybody to know that. It's a public thing. So in what way would honor be like a wreath on our head that is a public thing? I think the way that wisdom honors us is through our character. When we embrace wisdom and we put it into practice, other people see in our life our character. And it's a wise character. Think about a couple of examples from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10 says, Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses, or love covers offenses. So someone gets angry at you and they say things that are very hurtful. How do you respond? Hatred stirs up quarrels. Do you respond back with angry words in hatred? And begin a quarrel and a fight? Or in love do you overlook their sin? People can see that. Your family members can see that. Parents, your kids can see that. Your employees can see that. Other church members can see that. Wisdom honors you when they watch and they say, wow. He didn't stir up that quarrel. Instead, he overlooked that offense. Another one, chapter 16, verse 8 says, Better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. For all of us, the temptation for more is very strong. We would all like to have more money. We would like to have more things or nicer things. We would all like to have a different status in life at times. How are we going to get that? It's easy to start cutting corners and being dishonest in your communication or your business or how you handle money, how you treat people. So when people look at you, even though you don't have everything that you would want, do they see that that's better? Because you have a godliness. You have a character that's being shaped by your God. And it's better to have little and be that 
than to be dishonest and people can't trust you and they can look and see that you are not an honest person. See, there's a public nature to it in which wisdom honors us. All right, one last one. Young people who obey the law are wise and those with wild friends will bring shame. Very easy in our teenage culture and young adult culture to think the people who have all the fun are the ones who break the laws, rebel against the rules, and have the wild parties and fun. But what happens to those people? They bring shame. And actually, we're missing part of it. It actually says they bring shame to their parents. Right? So better to be a young person who obeys the law. And people can see that. And you have respect for authority. And your parents can be proud of you than to be that young person who breaks the laws and your parents are embarrassed because of your actions and the results right so those are a couple of examples i think that's what it means there when it says that wisdom will honor you and that's why it's like a wreath on your head if wisdom is like this woman that should be a part of your life that can be a good wife to you solomon says that wisdom is attractive and it's worth the effort so go get her All right, so how do we do that? That's the question, right? If wisdom is this thing that we should go get at all costs, and it will do those things for us, how do we do that? All right, so if we go back to verse 4. My father taught me, take my words to heart, follow my commands. We talked about this the first week, but we'll read that it's the father's instructions, but it's also very clear that this wisdom that's being passed on from generation to generation are God's words. So when he says, follow my commands, he's saying, follow God's commands. Follow God's commands. So let me just give you three steps real quick about how to gain this wisdom. Step one is obey God's word. Obey God's word. Psalm 19.7 says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Where do we get this wisdom? This wisdom comes from God's word. And it's a word not to just be known, it's a word to be obeyed. That's why we encourage you to read a chapter a day. We want you to take in God's word. We have a reading plan here at the church. But ultimately, you can read the Bible on your own. And in fact, it will make the biggest impact in your life when you read it on your own. But that's why we open up the Bible here. That's why everything that we do is centered on the Bible. We want to know and understand God's word so that we can obey it and in verse 6 he says don't turn your back on it for she will protect you love her and she will guard you and if you prize wisdom she will make you great embrace her and she will honor you look at those terms so think about god's word as this instruction that we need to follow don't turn your back on her. love her prize her embrace her These are terms of intimacy in a relationship. It's that picture of what a good wife will do in your life and how you should treat a good wife. You're to prize her, to value her, to desire her. So let me just ask you to grade yourself. Scale of 1 to 10. As you think about your effort to read, understand, study, obey the Bible, and your attitude towards god's word what grade do you give yourself one being terrible ten being great because not only does he describe that we need to obey these commands but he gives us terms of relationship so what is your effort say the bible is a big book it is 
Bible's a hard book to understand. You just heard Harumi talk for a couple years now. She's been investing in reading, learning, studying the Word of God. And it resulted in her coming to know the God who wrote it. How much effort are we willing to put in to really knowing and understanding God's Word and allowing it to come into our life? It's supposed to be a book that helps us have a relationship with God. It's to be prized, to embrace God's word. So it's not just our effort, but it's our attitude towards it. So I just ask you, what is your attitude and your effort towards God's word? Which includes not only your own personal Bible study, but listening to podcasts, coming to church here with an open heart and an eager ear to hear God's word and to learn from it, to join a life group where you can ask questions and study and grow together, to go to a class like Bible 101. He says, get wisdom. And the way that you do that is you obey God's commands. Step two is you got to really want it then. (laughs) Is this something that you really want? We spend a lot of time here trying to almost beg you, to coax you, urging you. Please listen, read, study, hear the Bible. But it's something that you have to really want. This wisdom has to be something that you see as something that you should go get at all cost. Uh, Kidner in his commentary said this, what it takes is not brains or opportunity, but decision. Do you want it? Then come and get it. When's the last time you really wanted something? And what kind of effort were you willing to put forward to it? Um, Stafford uh, Trapp is from the Boston area. He's a Boston Celtics fan. And so am I. So we watched some games together. Last night, we really wanted the Celtics to win. And then, when you think about basketball, this is a guy named Pete Maravich. How many of you guys have heard of Pete Maravich? He was called the Pistol. Pete Maravich. His dad was a famous coach, college coach. Pete Maravich, uh, he's just a scrawny little kid right there. He played at LSU, and back in that day, you only played uh, three years of um of college basketball. You didn't play your freshman year. Pete Maravich holds all the scoring records in college. He did it in three years and then went on to play in the NBA. He's considered one of the best basketball players ever to play. He is known for dribbling a basketball throughout his community, spinning it on his finger, always shooting. How did Pistol Pete Maravich get that kind of desire? Well, here's what his dad did when he was little. His dad would go out and shoot at the basketball hoop in their yard and he wouldn't let pete come out and shoot he would just watch through the glass door and then he would open the door and buy him to come out let him take one shot and then send him back in the house and he did that for a while and pete couldn't wait to get out there he really wanted to shoot basketball to play basketball and to do it and there came a time when dad said okay you can and then together they set out to play basketball and practice it just about more than anybody else, and to achieve a goal of becoming an incredible basketball player. It was something he really wanted. That was to be a basketball player. We're talking about wisdom and the impact they can have on our life and our relationship with God. So you got to really want that. It's got to be something that you want. Do you want wisdom the way a husband wants his wife? The way a husband prizes his wife. That's really what Solomon is saying. All right. We need to wrap things up. Third thing is that you need to ask for it. You need to ask for it. 
I want to just show you these verses in Proverbs chapter 2, where it says, Cry out for insight and ask for this understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This wisdom that we're talking about is something that God gives. And so we need to obey his commands and we need to really want it, but we need to ask for it. And so that begs the question, who do we ask? And so we got one last question, who? It mentioned the fear of the Lord there, which reminds us of chapter 1 and verse 7. that said, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. This fear of the Lord, the idea of the fear of the Lord, really is the foundation. A similar thing is said in chapter 9 and verse 10, where it says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, but notice this, knowledge of the Holy One. Who is the Holy One? God. So this fear of the Lord is connected to our knowledge of God. It's not just to be afraid of God, but it's to really know who God is and to know who we are and to ask God. For this wisdom that we need. One pastor put it this way. In order to make the best decisions, we need more than information, common sense, or conventional wisdom. We need God. And we need to live in a posture of dependency upon God. And this posture comes from two different things. And you heard this in the testimonies. Two understandings about who God is. The first one is this awesome holiness. That God is a perfect being. He is without sin. He's never had the wrong thought. He's never done the wrong thing. He's never had a wrong attitude. He's never had a wrong emotion. God is perfect and without sin. And because of that, as our creator, he is to be worshipped. And he is totally different than we are. And that puts us in a bad position because... We are not that. And we have wrong thoughts and wrong actions and wrong emotions. We have everything wrong. And so we stand guilty before this God and we have no way to rescue ourselves. We could never live good enough. And yet we don't have a way to pay for the sins that we've already committed. So the first part of fearing the Lord is to know that God is holy, is our creator. He's the one that designed this whole thing, and he did it perfectly. But then there's also a second thing that we need to know about this God, and that is his awesome love. And that's what these people who got baptized gave testimony to. Because God didn't leave us there. He stepped into our existence as God became human being in Jesus Christ. And Jesus died and gave his life on a cross. So that we could have forgiveness of sins. So that we could be rescued. This whole idea of fear of the Lord is really about reverential trust. It's a term of submission. It is to not only say, I know who God is, but God, your ways are best. You're the creator. I'm sinful. I give my life to you and I'll follow your ways. That's that posture of dependence. But Jesus, who was God also surrendered and submitted to God and that he obeyed God and came and lived as a human being and never sinned once and didn't deserve to die. And yet he died on a cross to take our punishment and our sin in our place. So he surrendered for us. We're talking how honor wisdom honors us with a wreath on our head 
Jesus took a crown of thorns on his head. In submission to the Father, but so that we could know the Father. That we could be welcomed into his family. And so, really, the issue this morning is this. Is your life surrendered to God? Have you come to know God through Jesus? Have you ever come to believe, like these who gave testimony this morning, that Jesus Christ is God who died for you? And your only hope of rescue is to invite him into your life and to give your life to him. And for those of us who are believers, is your life surrendered to Jesus? Every area of it. Your relationships, your money, your work, your leisure, how you serve at church, what you do, all of it. That really is what this wisdom thing is about. Verse that many would be familiar with it sums it up well for us. Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. A lot of times we think about this wisdom, we think we need more information. I just want to make good decisions. The wisdom that we're talking about isn't about more information. It's not just conventional wisdom. It's not just about good decisions. It's about do you know God, your creator? Have you come to know Jesus? And is your life surrendered to him? Solomon says to his son, I want you to think about a woman, a very attractive woman, a woman who would make a great wife and would honor you. Go get her. Go get wisdom. And we'll continue to unpack that through the rest of the book. Let's close in a word of prayer. And as we bow our heads and just close our eyes, there's no special formula or no secret to this. We just want all of you to know how much we love you and how much God loves you. And maybe you're like some who gave testimony as they got baptized. That maybe you don't know God yet or maybe... You don't understand or you have questions or maybe you're ready to just say, God, here's my life. Take it. And I just want to encourage you. You can do that right where you are. Say, God, I know you love me and created me. I trust your plan. Thank you for giving Jesus who died for my sins and rose again. Would you come into my life? And what all that entails, I look forward to learning. But would you please come into my life and save me now? And if you do that, we'd love to know that you did that and be able to help you start your journey. You could look us up afterwards. Or if you have questions, we'd love to answer those questions and pray with you. God, thank you for wisdom. A spiritual, godly wisdom that can shape our life, that can protect us and guide us, that can give us true life. God, would you help us to really want that? Help each of us, wherever we are, to find our way to that kind of wisdom that will shape our life. But God, we pray most of all that you give us that reverential trust to know how good you are and how wise you are and to know that we can trust you with our life, all of it. Would you help us to be that kind of people individually and as a church? Would you help us publicly to be recognized as those kind of people? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.